Morning, everybody. So um, there's some things that I wish that I was better at and things that I'm good at that I wish I wasn't so good at. Um, one of the things that I'm really good at is uh, watching TV shows and listening to songs over and over again so that I remember words and everything about them. And um, as a kid, or not as a kid, as a teenager, and pretty much up until just before, just after Megs and I got married, um, I watched Scrubs a lot, the TV show Scrubs, and um, it, I just, I found it to be quite um, an enjoyable watch and uh, just a lot of good life lessons. And there's this episode where um, it's early on and you're sort of meeting the characters and they, they do a couple of episodes where they bring their parents to work. So they're doctors, they bring their parents to work. And in this you get to see sort of the stereotypes of different kinds of um, parents, different setups of families. And it's a couple of episodes where they're all wrestling through the fact that even though they're, they're doctors, they're grown adults, they're still embarrassed by their parents and, and, and things like that. And, um, oh, Sally's come to say hello. And um, it's... It's a really interesting, um, I guess, dynamic. And towards the end of the, the episode, um, the main character, he's, he's upset and he's talking to his mentor. And um, he's sort of complaining and saying about how, how tough it was. His dad was never really there for him, um, in, you know, the divorce situation and things like that. And his mentor says to him, well, you're a doctor, you're healthy, you're doing pretty well. And he replies and he says, well, my dad caused considerable emotional damage. And the mentor replies and says, I'm pretty sure every parent causes considerable emotional damage. And he says, in fact, I think from what I've heard, that's one of the best things about being a parent. <laughs> and the way that I respond to that as a teenager is very different to the way that I respond to that as someone who has kids, someone who has a parent, as a parent. As a kid, I thought, yeah, he's right. Parents do just want to cause considerable emotional damage. As a parent, I realise that's actually a very real thing that I'm probably going to do and that's, that weighs heavy on me. And my child is one and four and that's something that I'm already feeling. And today we are looking at being a godly child and, and in essence we are also looking at being godly parents. And whenever we talk about children or childhood um, or parents, I'm aware that people will react differently. Everyone has had a different experience of being a child. Uh, everyone has had a different experience of parents uh, or trusted older figures. And I don't want to minimise that today, um, but I hope uh, you can understand that if we try and bring up every situation that could have occurred in everybody's life, um, we actually wouldn't really get through um, the start um, because there's a lot of different situations in this room. It is true that parents cause considerable emotional damage. Some for more than others. And that's a very real and a very serious thing. It's not a throwaway line from a sitcom. That's something that people have had to deal with in their lives. I'll try and steer clear of unneeded stories about family today where possible because I don't want to stir up too many emotions for people who might have been dealing with stuff. But can I encourage you, if something does stir up in you today as we speak about parents, as we speak about families, as we speak about being children, uh, if something does stir up, if you do feel uncomfortable, can I encourage you, uh, speak to one of our elders, one of our pastors after the service. Um, don't, don't let that bottle up um, because that's some stuff that, that really does, um, that does cause damage and stuff that, that we would like to be able to talk about and stuff that we'd be like, like to be able to, I guess, share with and journey with you in. So can I encourage you this morning, if these words, children, parents, childhood, all these things do bring up some, some, um, some strange emotions, um, 
yeah, we'd, we'd, we'd be open to chat about that with you uh, after the service. If you could open up your Bibles to Ephesians uh, chapter 6, we're going to look at four verses today, uh, verses 1 to 4. It'll be up on the screen, um, but if you have it in your Bibles, that's also helpful. It says this, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honour your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. So there's three words that I'd like to focus on here today in our passage, and those words are obey, honour, and provoke. Or maybe you've got a, a version that says exasperate. That's a good word. Um, these three words go hand in hand. Um, it says children obey, so do obey. Children honour, do honour. And parents do not provoke. So we get two do's and a don't. So first of all, we look at children Obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Now, I think this is pretty fair. All three of these ideas uh, in their first portion are actually pretty common practice in the world, I think. Children, obey your parents. That's a pretty common idea. I don't think as I come up here today, anyone's thinking, oh, this is revolutionary. <laughs> now, there's a few questions we can ask straight away. And the first one is why? Why is obeying your parents good? Obeying your parents is wise because they, in theory, care about you and what is best for you. And I truly believe that in the vast majority of situations, parents do care for their children and what is best for them. Children, obey your parents and honour them, and parents do not provoke or frustrate your kids is actually really great parenting advice, right? I'm pretty sure if you've got a parenting book, these ideas would be in there. Again, not revolutionary. But what we as followers of Jesus do is hopefully recognise that we will mess those three things up often, both children and parents. So in all three examples, we are given something to anchor ourselves to. Uh, this is all to be done in Christ. Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. So what does that mean? I think the answer is pretty straightforward, um, so I want to share it plainly. However, I think the way we respond to it is far more complex. So the answer is easy and straightforward. The way we actually live it out is tough and complex. Obey your parents in the Lord means that we as children should obey our parents in every context that they are the best authority. So if your mum tells you it's your turn to unpack the dishwasher, obey that. If your mum tells you that you can't go to a party on Friday night because it's a family night, you can huff and puff and, and all those things, but you should obey that. If your folks tell you to rob a bank, that is probably not something you need to obey. If your dad asks you to deny your faith and belief in Jesus, I don't think that is something worthy of obeying if you have a genuine faith in Christ. Obeying your parents in the Lord means obey in everything in which they have the authority in, in which their authority allows. Does that make sense? I'm aware that's easier said than done, um, but I believe Paul is saying, what Paul is saying here is actually in line with everything the Bible has to say about submission, obedience and authority. 
as long as your obedience doesn't mean disobedience to a higher authority, then it should be obeyed. So as long as your obedience to your parents doesn't mean a disobedience to Christ, or I guess in, in some instances to the law, um, then, then that should be obeyed. We've heard many times one of our missionaries disobeyed, disobeyed his parents when they found out he was a Christian. They told him to renounce his faith, to deny his faith. We have different stories, some of strong Christian upbringings, others do not. Some people have upbringings from different faiths. We don't disobey our parents because they are not Christians. That's not what Paul is saying here. We obey our parents because they are our primary caregiver and in most situations they do want what is best for us. Now parents, this is something to take very seriously. Obedience shouldn't be something that is relished. As a parent, as a leader, as anybody, we shouldn't relish the chance for someone to obey us. It should be something that is held lightly and most of the time shouldn't be commanded. People obey because they respect. Obedience is something, isn't something that we grab out of fear. It isn't something that we take out of a forced authority or control. One of my, one of my cricket captains, um, I would have bowled for all day. I just would have kept running and if he said keep bowling, I would have kept bowling. I would have bowled injured if he said, hey, I really need you to bowl now. I don't care that you're hurt. You need to bowl. I would have bowled. I would have not played a game because he said, hey, you're not being selected this week and I wouldn't have had a problem with that because I respected him so much and I respected his authority. But that captain also very rarely called me to something that was unfair or not expected of me. My obedience made sense because he respected it. There's another captain I had that I didn't enjoy playing under. I'd find reasons to argue, find reasons to try and not bowl to the plan that he had set for me, try and find reasons to do what I thought was right because I didn't respect his authority. I didn't want to obey what he had to say because there wasn't a respect for his authority. For one captain I obeyed almost all the time, but it really felt like I was obeying because I trusted and respected. For the other, it felt like I was forced to obey and quite often I was a problem and I pushed against stuff that I didn't need to because I just didn't want to. Parenting is tough and finding a balance is tough. My hope for myself and Megan is that uh, as we look to other examples of parents and as we look to Christ, we can imitate Christ. That when we call for obedience, most of the time it is easy because it makes sense. And when it's hard, Life and Sully, probably teenage Life and Sully from what I tend to understand about parenting, hopefully they can obey us because they trust us. And they respect us and they believe that their obedience isn't for us to show off our power or show off our authority, but instead it is for their best interests. Something I've really enjoyed about being in a church family uh, since I was 18 is I've seen that in so many different ways play out. I've seen it in the lives of kids who were born when I was 18 or 19 and now are teenagers. I've seen it play out in the lives of uh, the, the high schoolers who I was running through youth with. I've seen it in the families here, and it's really encouraging. God has the authority to force us into submission. I think the picture of the loving father is a great picture of great and perfect obedience.
God has the authority to force us into submission, into obedience, into doing what he wants us to do. He has that authority. However, he holds that authority um, lightly in a lot of ways for someone who has so much authority. Instead of a forced obedience, we are given the chance to see what is good, what is the right thing to do, and what is worthwhile. We are given the opportunity to live that out. Every now and then we are also given an opportunity to have those thoughts refined and sharpened because we are actually missing the point. It's not a forced thing though. I think the word obey is far and away the scariest word out of these three words. I think it's one of the scariest words in the human language because of what we have done to it. I think it's scary because historically humans have done a poor job of living out obedience properly. And humans have also done a poor job of living uh, the, the idea of being someone who makes you obey. We haven't done that well. As we think about being children and as we think about being parents, how can we make sure the word obey isn't something scary or uncomfortable, but instead a word that is uplifting and encouraging and something that people actually want to be a part of? Yes, I will obey my parents. Not because I have to, but because what they say actually makes sense. It's a great picture of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I also understand that that is a, a sentence that maybe you don't hear too often as a parent. Oh, gee, I'd love to obey your mum and dad. It's a tough job, but it's a really great and honest thing to be searching and, and, and seeking. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honour your father and mother, things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. Honour your mother and father is one of the Ten Commandments. It's the fifth one. Paul also says this is the first commandment with a promise. What does that mean? It appears he says this is a bit of a reminder and encouragement to the reader. Not to make a big deal about it with the first promise, but it's meant to be read more as remember that the Ten Commandments would be the first things you sort of learn. And as you remember that, remember that this one has a promise and be encouraged by that. There are other commandments with promises. Um, the second commandment sort of has a promise as well. Um, the idea of this is remember the thing you learn early on and remember the promise that is with it. Be encouraged by that. And again, Paul gives some pretty solid parenting techniques here and roots it in Christ. This is one of the commandments handed down from Moses and it's a big deal. And for the reader, it's something they would have understood and read and known very, very well. This isn't um, prosperity kind of teaching. Things will go well for you and you will have a long life on earth. If you honour your mum and dad, you will have a great life. You will live really long and everything will be great. That's not what this is um, saying. This isn't how the original reader would have read it and the idea of this to the original reader would have just been so foreign because you didn't have a great life. Um, they didn't expect things to be incredible. They didn't expect by doing this they would just pull themselves up out of the situation they were in and have a new life. They didn't think that they were going to have all the big stuff and wealth and things like that. They understood what this meant. The idea of getting things from God is a very modern and individualistic view. 
It's not something, uh, as we read the scriptures, that they would have thought of too much. What Paul is saying, and what the original reader would have understood, is that the family was central to a functioning community. Society worked well that way. If you were outcast from your family, if your family was dysfunctional, if there was any reason why you should be apart from the community, your life would become significantly harder. Because family was your status. If you wanted to get married, families would meet and sort that out. If you wanted a job, you worked in what your dad did. If you wanted to go to um, town and buy things, what was the reputation of your family? That depended on how you would be served and if you would be served. It didn't mean that if you honoured your parents, you would literally live a longer and better life. It meant that if you honoured your, mo- you your parents, your mum and dad, life would be significantly easier for you because there would be less hurdles in the way. You would be in good standing with them. Their advice would be sound advice for you to follow. And if you followed that advice, life would become easier. You learn from the people around them. You learn from them. And that would give you the best opportunity to live a good, long and healthy life. Because they're teaching you things like, don't eat those things. Don't run in front of those things. Don't go over there. All those things you're learning help you live a longer life. Very rarely are we actually to read the Bible in an individualistic way. Most of what is written is in the context of people being together, not us being by ourselves trying to get ahead. So the idea of um, honour your mother and father to this culture is simply if you honour your mother and father, if you listen to them, if you respect their rules in the house, if you don't mock them and rile them up and intentionally um, try and get under their skin, you will learn things from them about how to live. You will be able to stay a part of your community, they are connected to, and you will have the best chance at that good laugh, rather than being disconnected, cast out from that community and having to literally fend for yourself. So that's what honour your mother and the father looked like there. What does that look like for us? Because our standing in society today is far less steeped in how connected we are to our family. Today you are able to live a pretty good life disconnected from your family. You can still get a job. You can still go to the shops. You can still get married. If you cut ties with your family, you will be accepted into other communities. Now again, we're talking here about families, we're talking about great situations, we're talking about things that that we might have have lived and I understand that for some people here, the idea of a great, loving, caring family that accepts you in isn't something that's really that known. It might be this disconnected thing that, that that is all you know. Unfortunately, while the family is a great model of love, safety, unity and acceptance, That's not what everyone has experienced. That is not the experience of family for quite a lot of people, uh, Christian or not. That it's a safe place where you can grow, where you can be loved and where you can be safe. My hope is that you have been able to find another family or group of people that you can honour if that's you. That you can learn from them and you can trust them. 
I think that's where the roles of aunts and uncles and godparents and close family and friends is so important. Those spiritual parents, they play such an important role. If you look to history, it has been the church who has played that role in providing care, providing care for orphans. It has been the church who has provided care for those who are displaced or without anything. The call uh, is to honour your mother and father. Children, the call is to parents. But there is also a call here for all of us as spiritual parents and as Christians that we can see from this. We see the world is not perfect. We see the world is fallen, even in reading about family. And there is something that we can do. How can we offer support to those who do not get to have great parents? How do we offer support so they have someone to honour and be obedient to that they can trust and not feel like they're going to be misled? How are we doing that? And that's an important side note and it ties into that question. Because if we don't need family in society today, if we can get on with our lives without a family name or a family tie, why honour your mother and father? I think honouring your mother and father is important and I think it's important because they should be the people who most want to see you succeed. They should be the people who want to be most invested in your lives to see you do really well want to see you flourish so if that is their motive why wouldn't you want to honor them why wouldn't their advice be listened to now parents to an extent you can tell your kids what to do because you're their parents but they don't have to obey or honor you you can tell them what to do and they can do with that whatever they want the Bible seems to say it's best for them to honour you, it is good for them to obey, but Paul is assuming here that they are honouring and being obedient to someone who is worthy of those things. Honouring your mother and father, uh, by again, by joining the family bank robbing business, is most likely not a good thing and is not something that will bring long life on earth. Honouring your mother and father out of fear of consequence probably won't bring great life. The Bible is not promoting blind obedience here. It's not promoting how you just need to honour your mother and father because they're your mother and father even if they say bad things. Paul is assuming that your mum and dad want what's best for you. And that is a huge call and a huge thing for parents to understand. In all of these things, you are being assumed to want what is best for your kid. And I think that's true when I look around and when I see the way that our families um, get around and, and are around their kids. But that's actually a massive thing to carry on your shoulders. Because there's times where you just want your kid to honour and obey because you just need them to. There's conversations I've had with my mum and dad as a younger teen that I still remember now. And they hugely shaped me. There are conversations I've had with my mum and dad in the last couple of years that have shaped me as I honour them. I haven't stopped listening to my mum and dad because I'm 31. I genuinely respect my parents and what they have to say to me. But I also don't think mum and dad expect me to follow everything to the T when we have conversations. 
They share advice. We talk. I respect them and I honour them because that respect is there. And in fairness, that respect has been earned. The way mum and dad responded to some of the bullying um, I was subject to in primary school is actually something that shaped my life hugely. And that is something that will shape the way that I speak to my kids about how to deal with bullying. A positive interaction that was worthy of honour. So children should be obedient and they should honour their mother and father. But they should do it because their parents are worthy of honour. And they are obedient because their parents have reasonable expectations of what obedience looks like. I like the way that Paul has put these verses together and it's pretty common for the way that Paul writes. He addresses uh, the group that society would have seen as weaker first. So here he addresses children. In the following passage he addresses um, slaves. And then he addresses the, the stronger party, the party that I guess society would have seen as stronger. So parents second, masters second. He does this in his other letters. And it's interesting because parents reading so far would be feeling pretty good. See, it's all the kids. It's the kids. They just need to listen to me. (laughs) They just need to honour and obey me. But Paul finishes by speaking to the parents. And he is saying, if you want your kids to obey and honour, then you have to do this. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. I am very good at provoking people. I am very good at exasperating people. Mum and Dad, I am good at exasperating them. Ask Meigs after I've had a day of no human interaction how annoying I am at home. Exasperate means to intently irritate frustrate or provoke and Paul says fathers do not provoke do not exasperate so does that mean mothers have a free pass to exasperate no (laughs) when Paul says fathers here he's speaking to a culture that would have understood that it still meant parents so parents do not exasperate your children do not provoke your children Paul gives us an alternative a much better option he says instead bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. Now I get uh, get nervous for two reasons when I read this. Firstly, like I said, I'm very good at making situations worse. I'm good at irritating and provoking. So knowing that I shouldn't means that I have to be on guard for that. Be on guard means being honest with myself, it means being honest with Megan, it means being honest with life, it means being honest with Sullivan. And that's really hard, to be honest. What is easier is justifying poor behaviour. That is much easier. I know Leif has had a long day, I know he's tired, he's a small child, and I know he just wants to read a very small book before he goes to bed. But bedtime was five minutes ago, so too bad. We're going to bed. Guess how that ends? It ends poorly. It ends with me walking out frustrated and then walking in five minutes later apologising to my son because I was wrong. I was being dumb. 
I read the book with him, we have a good time together, we settle him down to sleep and everything takes 20 minutes longer than it would have if I just spent a minute and a half reading a book with my son before he went to bed. The other reason I get nervous is because Paul tells us to instead bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. And that is a pretty big job. Youth ministry was great in that regard because we got to hang out with high schoolers and do fun stuff with them for two or three hours on a Friday night. And I got to speak into their life in that context. They liked me because I was cool for a while until I got a bit older and then maybe I wasn't as cool. But we played games, we built into their lives. Friday evening, see you later, see you next week. 24-7 with a one-year-old and a four-year-old is very, very different to Friday night for three hours with teenagers. So what does that look like for parents? How do you bring up kids and train them and instruct them in the ways of the Lord whilst also not provoking or exasperating them? Well, we'll, we'll hit the bigger topic first, training and instruction. Spoiler, the other one's really straightforward. Now, I think there are two parts to training and instruction, what you do and what you say. The stuff your kid sees when you don't think they are watching or paying too much attention and what you can teach um, from the Bible, from life. So the stuff your kid sees you doing are the conversations you have with them when you're really tired or really busy. But it's an important conversation. How you react at two or three in the morning to a wet bed or to a sick child or to a nappy change or to a bad dream. How you react when they bring home some bad news from school or from university. When they bring home some grades that maybe you weren't expecting. When they come home from a bad day of sport where they've had a bad moment. Something that they are not particularly proud of either. It's the conversations you have with other people that they listen into. And they start to think of some things. All these things play a part. And your kids pay attention regardless of how old they are. If they see you doing something or not doing something, chances are that will start to become part of what they do or don't do. Sometimes dad would go down to the tavern with his workmates on a Friday and I remember going with him a couple of times and I liked it because I'd get to eat hot chips and I'd get a lemonade. And for me... I started to connect going to work with, well, when I get a job, that means on Fridays I'll get to go have chips and lemonade with workmates and it'll be really great. That was some of my first thoughts about what work meant. I got to see my dad having a good time and I started to think that's what I'll get to do. Kids pay attention to the things that we do. And if they pay attention to the great things you do, like buying your chips and lemonade, they will also pay attention to the things that you do not do so well. They will pay attention to the things you do not model so well. The good news about that is you have double the chance to train and instruct. You also have a great chance to show why honour and obedience is a good thing. When they th see the great things you do as parents that builds into them positively... When they witness the not-so-great things, you have a chance to be honest and also a chance to take action. Along with our actions, 
we can use words? Do we put a time aside, a t- um, time aside to be reading the truths from the Bible to our children? Do we explain why those truths are good, why we can trust them and why we can believe them? Do we tell them why those people in those stories did those things and what it means for us? Life Loves Kids Church, while we were on long service leave, he was genuinely upset that we weren't coming to church because he wanted to go to kids' church. And we'd check out a couple of other churches while we were on long service leave and go see some friends. And there was a couple of times where he cried in the car because he didn't want to go to that church. He just wanted to go back to his church. Life Loves Kids Church. And our team, our kids' church team, do a great job. They do a fantastic job. But it is not their job to train and instruct your children. They get to play a small part on a Sunday morning and they do an awesome job at the small part that they get to play. But it is our job as parents to speak the truth of God into their lives. It is our job to train them in the ways of Jesus. Other people will get to play parts and that's really great. Church community is important for that. But how do you take that seriously? How do you take that role seriously? If you feel overwhelmed by that, there are heaps of great resources that Carolyn has that you can get your hands on. Uh, Practical ways to bring the Bible into your everyday routine. And there are people here who can help out. There's people who have been through the journey sitting here today. There's people who are maybe a little bit further along on the journey than you are. I'm sure a conversation with them um, would show that they'd love to help out and, uh, and share with you. Life has bad dreams every now and then, and more recently he's been asking to pray before we go to bed. And that's a really encouraging thing. Even if I forget, or Meigs forgets as we walk out, he'll stop us. We need to pray to not have bad dreams. And this is a cool thing, and it's a great thing that he can know, that he can talk to God about anything, and he can ask God for help. And he understands that even as a four-year-old. There could very well be a teaching moment coming up when we do pray to God and life has a bad dream. And we will deal with that conversation when we get there. But I hope that when we do have that conversation, our son will still know that God cares for him, that God loves him, and he can come to God with questions, with prayers and requests. Even as simple as, uh, let me have a long sleep tonight. And let me not have bad dreams. Do not exasperate, do not provoke is pretty straightforward. But it is really hard. We have a no no toys at the dinner table rule. And I think it's a pretty good rule. I think it makes sense. 95% of the time life follows that rule. But he gets very frustrated at me when I have toys at the dinner table. (laughs) And he is very quick to say, Dad, no toys at the dinner table. That's a rule. And rightfully so. I'm provoking him. (laughs) Right? Life, here is a rule I expect you to obey, but I don't have to, because I'm Dad. (laughs) We don't like that when that happens in our society. We don't like it when it happens to us. So why do it to our kids? We just exasperate them, provoke them. 
After sporting games, I remember on drives home, Dad would say really helpful things like, you probably should have scored that goal. <laughs> or I'd get out in cricket and he'd say, you shouldn't have played that shot. Like, Gee, thanks, Dad. That's re <laughs> really helpful. In those situations, it isn't that helpful to know something I already know. I know I didn't do very well. Fortunately, in fairness to Dad, he learned pretty quickly. And um, if he had a criticism, we'd normally go for Hungry Jacks after a game or a pizza, and then he'd share his thoughts on my game when I was a little bit more <laughs> at ease. Humans provoke each other regularly. We do. We call it banter most of the time. Parents, you provoke your kids regularly. It doesn't matter if they're four or 40, you provoke your kids regularly. I'm not suggesting you do it intentionally. Sometimes I think you do, because sometimes I do. But I am suggesting that you do it often. And if you don't believe me, then think back to how you felt as a teenager, talking to your parents, and how often you felt they were provoking you. If you felt it as a kid or a young adult, I reckon your kid feels it now, similarly. And I think Paul finishes with a do not after these two do's because do obey and do honour hang heavily on how the parents go with the do not. Parents, we need to be very careful how we treat our children. Spiritual parents, you need to be very careful about how you treat those who look up to you. Leaders, you need to be very careful about how you treat those you are leading. Obedience and honour cannot be assumed. If they are not assumed in every moment, it will make the serious moments where it has to be assumed actually carry some weight and feel reasonable. And like we said before, we want most moments to not feel like obedience. It just feels like the right thing to do because mum and dad care for us. Now, we will get this wrong, yes. But are you listening to your child? And that's a serious question. How many times do I get to tell Leif not to do something that I will do before he stops paying attention to me? How many times should he say, that's not fair, or why do you get to do that before he just stops paying attention to what I've been saying to him? Paul gives us a great picture of the family here. He gives us some great resources on how to be a godly child. A godly child obeys and honours their parents. But those parents are godly parents, listening and respecting their children not provoking and carrying on, not trying to make their life tough or fill it up with rules for the sake of rules. Godly parents are setting an example in their actions as well as their words. And when these two parties are working together, that is such a great thing. And what a great picture of the church. What a great picture of the kingdom seeing a great, loving, happy family working together. So what does all of this look like for you this week? Because there's some people here who maybe aren't parents. There's some people here who maybe don't feel like they're a kid. Well, John Farnham said we're all someone's daughter and we're all someone's son. So what do you need to do as a child? What conversations could you have with your parents? How could you thank them? How could you check in with them? 
How can you obey and honour them this week? Maybe you have a family dinner, maybe you're going around for lunch, maybe you can flick a text, maybe you can call. What can you do this week to show that you honour and obey them? And for a parent, what does that look like? Do you know there are people here, around here at Kingsley, in this church, that really want to see you flourish as a parent? Know how to make the right decisions. Know how to have those conversations. There are people who have been on that journey. They might have older kids and they can offer advice and help. Maybe dad's chatting to other dads, mum's chatting to other mums. Do we have people in our lives that we can talk about the challenges? At this conversation, do you think that was provoking my son? Be honest. Do we have people that we can bounce things off? I was too harsh there. Or actually, no, you were right to be harsh there. That is something that is very important. As we finish, I'd just like to again remind you that if anything today has been tough, if there's been some thoughts that have come through as we talked about loving families, if that's not something you have experienced, the simple thing and the true thing is to say that God's family is loving. God is a loving father and that is the truth. He loves you. And he wants to welcome you in. But that truth can sometimes be hard to see and accept. So can I encourage you again, chat to one of our pastors or one of our elders this week um, if that's a journey that you have been going through. Because we want to see families of God flourish, but we also want to see the family of God flourish. So remember this week, your role as a parent is super important. Your role as a child is super important. And the way you handle yourself as one or both of these shows the people around you something of God and what you believe in. Let's pray. God, thank you for families. Thank you for the picture that we get of what it means to be a family that flourishes, to be a godly child, to be a godly parent. Father, straight away we pray for those people this morning who haven't experienced loving family connections. We pray, that, we pray that they'll find redemption in you, um, that they'll find truth and care and grace and mercy in your love, a love that does not fail. God, we pray for the families who are going through it, and it's tough. We pray that we might be practical as a church to comfort and, and come alongside, offer support and wisdom. And we pray for those families who are new, who are enjoying the, the role of being a mum, a dad, enjoying being a kid because their parents are doing a great job of honouring them. So as we go out this week, we pray that we will be a great light to the community, that they'll see families and think, wow, that is a great thing. Why does that look different? What's that about? And we might get an opportunity to share who you are and what you've done in our lives. Amen. Thanks, BT. Well, we've been really, really fed by God's word uh, and thanks, BT, for sharing that with us. It does remind me of a blue whale because our kids in Kids Church today are learning about blue whales. Do you know a blue whale calf puts on my body mass in weight every single day? You know how that happens? It goes to its mum for the milk she needs or he needs. Um, and that's what we are to be like. Who are your spiritual parents? 
Who are you turning to to receive the kind of instruction and help you need to grow? And how are you being a spiritual parent to enable somebody else to grow? It's amazing how God grows people when one generation is prepared to build into a next and that generation is willing to receive it. So how are you going to do that this week? Don't want to distract you by a song. I'd like you to be prayerful as we go out, as we chat to each other, and as we think about what is that going to look like for you this week. God bless you. Thanks for being here, whether it's been online or in person, and trust that you'll be encouraged as we continue to have fellowship today. Thanks, everyone.